The scripture reading for today is taken from Jonah. Recently, in Owen Sound Canadian Reformed Church, we've been working our way through Jonah as a sermon series. So, today we'll be taking a portion of that, looking at Jonah chapter 4, the final chapter in Jonah. I don't know how familiar you might be with the book of Jonah, but up to this point, Jonah was told that he needed to prophesy to the people of Nineveh. Nineveh were great enemies. Uh, the, the people who were in Nineveh were great enemies of the nation of Israel, and so this angered Jonah and displeased him, and he ran. The Lord pursued him. And we have the song of Jonah in chapter 2 after he was rescued from the belly of the, or during his time in the belly of the fish. And then he returned to the city of Nineveh. He preached to them. And we read in the final verse of chapter 3 that God saw what they did, how they repented, and they turned from their evil way. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them to these people in Nineveh, and he did not do it. The word of God. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me. Therefore it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die, and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant, for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I, should not I, Pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle. So far, the word of God. In response, let's sing together from Psalm 55, verses 1, 8, and 10. 
the text for this morning is Jonah 4, the entire chapter. And so we won't read through it again, but I would encourage you to have it open as we make our way through. Beloved congregation of our Redeemer and King, have you ever desperately felt the need for redemption? Have you ever sunk so low that you felt there was no coming back from that? Making a public fool of yourself. Doing damage to a relationship that you have with someone. Committing a sin that you know there was no excuse for and you wish you could take back. The book of Jonah is one that's full of redemption. From start to finish, we've seen a man's rebellion and God's grace. We see Jonah fleeing from the Lord, his suffering, his crying out to the Lord, and his return to his former position of honor as a prophet of the Lord. We've seen a city that was far from God, that had no reason to enjoy his favor, and every reason to be destroyed. We've seen this city cry out to God and be saved from the brink of destruction. But we know that if we're left to ourselves, we don't last very long, do we? If we're rescued from the frying pan, we still catch ourselves so often trying desperately to jump into the fire. And we can see that once again in our chapter today. We see a man who has made some very bad choices. We see him be rescued from those bad choices. And yet we see him returning once again to his former pattern. We see again and again the grace of God being poured out on him. And we see him responding with bitterness. And yet, through Jonah, our eyes are, re- are directed to our Redeemer, who rescues us even from ourselves. And so we'll look at this final chapter in Jonah through the following theme and points. Reject bitterness by looking to your Redeemer. And we'll see, first of all, man's displeasure, and secondly, God's redemption. Up to to this point in the book of Jonah, we see a remarkable shift in Jonah due to the grace of God. This man who had run away from God now has been returned to God's service, returned to his position of honor as a prophet of the Lord. And he promptly went back to work. He preached from one end of Nineveh to the other, foretelling destruction. But then something shocking happened, something he wasn't counting on. The people listened to him. That wasn't supposed to happen. Our Lord Jesus Christ may have said that he came to seek and to save that which was lost, but Jonah just came to watch the world burn. These people had hurt his people. He was ready to see them pay. But they responded to his preaching. That wasn't supposed to happen. They fasted and they put on sackcloth. They withheld food and water from their animals and clothed them in sackcloth too. Now, 
I don't know how many of you are farmers here, but there was a farmer who pointed out to me that if this happened, then these animals would start complaining in a very big way. Cattle and beasts uh, make a lot of noise when they're not being fed or watered. So you have this huge racket going up to heaven. And you hear the people as well crying out to God. What a noise would have risen up from that city. Still, even if these people repented and he himself didn't really uh, expect that, all the same, he had promised and prophesied destruction so he could at least await that. And Jonah settles in. But nothing happens. The 40 days that he prophesied, he said, 40 days until the city will be overthrown. 40 days that he prophesied about go pass. And then nothing. There's no fire and brimstone. There's no enemies that come to tear down the walls. The people return to their daily routines. The markets are bustling with life again. And people are living. The normalcy of this displeases Jonah. Here are people who have contributed to the death and destruction of thousands upon thousands, families torn apart, nations enslaved. What happened to the Lord's wrath? What happened to His righteous judgment? We read here that it displeased Jonah exceedingly. Literally translated, we we read in the Hebrew that it, it became evil to Jonah as a great evil. You can't express it any more strongly than that in the Hebrew. He saw it as a great evil that they survived. What is God doing? At this point, I want you to stop and and think for a moment. Is there anyone in your life that you yourself feel is less worthy of God's mercy than you are? Maybe in your life you've had someone sin against you. Or someone you cared about terribly was wronged. This person has repented and apologized and asked for forgiveness. And now nothing is happening with them. Sure, they may have faced some punishment at the time, but not near enough for your own taste. They repented and now they're supposed to be right with God? How's that fair? How's nothing supposed to happen to them? Don't they deserve the wrath of God? Jonah says, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. I told you so, he said. Didn't I tell you that they would repent? Now, he didn't write about this, but it could very well have been part of the reason that he fled. It would have been better if you didn't even give them the chance to repent. 
Just give them their just desserts, the punishment that they deserve. But no, you had to give them a chance to repent. And now that they have, you're stuck with a people who are a threat to Israel's very existence. And you forgave them. And you had to drag me in to be a part of it. He says, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. The Lord answers with extreme patience. He doesn't condemn Jonah. He just asks him a simple question. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? A while back, I was visiting my sister, and her son was having a meltdown. Something didn't go his way, and he screamed. She picked him up, took him into her arms, and said, this is not an appropriate attitude right now. You're not making mommy happy. He stops, sniffles, and says, okay, and that's it. It was amazing. We know, however, that that's not how people usually react, don't we? If they're told it's not right to be angry, for the most part, they'll usually either get louder or else they'll sulk. And I'm not just talking about the kids. Jonah takes the second response. He doesn't respond to the Lord. He just leaves the city. After the Lord says that to him, he just leaves the city. He sits on the east side and he makes a shelter. He sits and he waits. He waits to see what will become of the city. The sun's beating down. It's hot and he's in a bad mood. Now over the course of the day, a small plant starts to grow near him. I want you to pay attention here. This isn't just any plant. You'll notice that there's a particular phrase that the Lord uses. In verse 6, the Lord God appointed a plant. The Lord God appointed a plant. We don't know what kind of plant this is. Some people have hazarded guesses, but they don't know for sure. No one knows for sure. But at the end of the day, that's not important. What's important is that phrase that we find there, how that plant came to be. If you've read through the book of Jonah prior to this, look at that phrase again. Does it sound familiar? It should. If you've read through this book before, you can think back to chapter 1 of Jonah you'll find the exact same phrase that we find in Jonah 1 verse 17, where the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. Here it's divine intervention again. There's the planning of an object lesson that's happening here. But Jonah doesn't know that yet. Jonah enjoys the shade of the plant. It brings him relief from the heat of the day and it makes him happy. And when the day is over, he settles down and he falls asleep. The next morning, he sets himself up again. 
For better or for worse, he is planning to sit here until something happens to that city. The Lord, however, has another plan in mind. Today, as the sun rises, we see God divinely intervening into the natural order two more times. He prepares or appoints a worm that eats the root of the plant. And as the sun rises, God prepares a hot east wind. Now, this wind isn't just any wind. One commentator suggests that this is perhaps similar to the wind known around the Mediterranean as the Sirocco. He says it's a desert wind that provides constant hot air so full of positive ions that it affects the levels of serotonin and other brain neurotransmitters, causing exhaustion, depression, feelings of unreality, and occasionally bizarre behavior. In some Muslim countries, this commentator says, the punishment for a crime committed while a Sirocco is blowing may be reduced at judicial discretion. So strongly does the prolonged hot wind affect thinking and actions. Added to this, there's a cloudless sky, and the sun beats down on Jonah. Jonah feels overcome. It gets so bad for him that he says at the end, it's better for me to die than to live. He's reached his breaking point, And there's nothing left for him here. And it's finally when he reaches this point that the Lord speaks into his life once again. The Lord says, is it right for you to be angry about this plan? Funny how that happens, isn't it? The Lord so often speaks into our lives when we're at our lowest. And it's often at these times that we're the most ready to hear. We may not want to hear, but we're ready to hear. It's one of these moments that God prepares us for when the words that are brought will strike us with particular force. It might be through something we've read. It might be through someone who speaks into our lives. And the question is how we'll respond to that person's speaking into our lives. When the Lord asks this question, Jonah knows exactly what God is asking him. You can tell that he knows where this lesson is going from his heated response. He says, It is right to be angry. Angry enough to die. I think this is a, a pretty funny reaction for somebody who just had a plant die on them. No, he, he, knowing exactly why God is asking him this question, he's doing what so many of us will do when someone's trying to teach us something. He's stubborn, and he speaks rashly. And yet, God has patience. You see, God is trying to teach him something by the plant and the worm. And he brings that out in the next verses. You had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and which perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left, and much livestock? 
The Lord shows concern for his livestock too. Jonah, he says, are not so many of my creatures worth pity? This plant is mine. I raised it and let it grow, and then it died. And yet you had pity for this plant. Certainly it was for selfish reasons. It gained you something and you did nothing to earn it. But think, it wasn't just this plant, but these people were brought into existence by me. They and their creatures owe their daily breath to me. Each heartbeat, each moment, I'm intimately involved in keeping them going. They're calling on me for mercy. If such a plant deserves my mercy, shouldn't I have mercy on this great people? 120,000 people steeped in ignorance. And yet they cry out for my aid. Should I not have pity? Brothers and sisters, this should make us take stock of ourselves for a moment. Because many of you have such people in your lives. People who unconsciously or not, you have assigned a place of being less deserving of God's mercy than yourself. Maybe it's because you're angry with them. Maybe they've done something to you. You might not wish hell on them, but you resent the fact that God allows them to carry on their day seemingly untroubled. But what does God teach us about this? We read in Romans 12, verse 19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, and I will repay, says the Lord. It's not our call to be bitter about someone else's treatment. Certainly we need to recognize that the consequences of their actions lie at their feet. And they'll face those consequences, be it embarrassment, needing to apologize and ask for forgiveness, pay fines, or maybe even face jail time. Maybe even there's more. But who are we to judge the way that God allows them to live here? Who are we to say, this person is such a threat is so distasteful that they don't deserve to carry on with life. In fact, I think that they don't even deserve salvation. Do we truly leave it up to the hands of the Lord to carry out His will with them? On the flip side, do you seek their repentance? Do you pray that those people who persecuted you might turn? And I'm not talking about people who might keep you from worshiping. We don't have so much of that in our country and in our day. I'm talking about those who are right here, right now in your life. Those who make life miserable for you. Do you seek their repentance? Do you pray for them? Because this is what we'll get. When Jesus says he came to seek and to save what was lost in Luke 19, verse 10, that includes many who are so lost that nobody else can get to them. That includes unsavory characters. 
that even includes those whom you dislike and perhaps even despise. If anything, they're in greater need of seeking and saving than most other people. Now, you may say, where's God's wrath? Where's God's wrath on this person? God's wrath hasn't passed this person by. If they truly asked for forgiveness, if they truly asked for God's mercy, then His wrath still hasn't passed them by. It has landed, but it hasn't landed on them. It has landed on Jesus Christ. Do you begrudge that? Do you begrudge that? If you don't look for their good in this way, hear this question from the Lord. Is it right for you to be angry? God cares about creation. God is deeply concerned for His creatures. He grieves and it angers Him when they go astray. And yet He'll allow it in order to let His glory shine through. He'll even allow some to be vessels of wrath in order to highlight His justice. Recognizing that, how much more joy should there be when He chooses to have some for vessels of mercy? When He chooses to show some, to pour out His mercy on them? When we recognize that God can redeem even those whom we see as lost causes, what a reason for joy that should be. Above all, it should be a reason for joy because it brings glory to God. It shows the world that no one is beyond His grace. It shows them that His gospel is for all. Put aside your displeasure and rejoice. But it should also be a reason for personal joy. Because it means if God can save this person, whom in my own mind is the farthest away, whom in my own mind is the most unworthy, the most despicable person, how much more will He not also save me? It means that God can save you and me too. If I put my trust in Him, or if you put your trust in Him, we know that we'll never be put to shame. So put aside your displeasure and rejoice. And this leads us into our final point. God's redemption. It might seem funny at this point to think about God's redemption. You might think, well, we've dealt with everything, right? I mean, we just worked our way through the whole passage. There's nothing left. God saves the city. Jonah's bitter about it. 
God cares. It ends poorly for Jonah, and, and that's it. That's all there is to it. End of story. But there you'd be wrong. Because it's not the end of the story. And in order to properly understand that, I want you to look at what's missing. Now, normally what's missing is not something that you preach about. It's dangerous to step outside those lines. But in in this particular case, it's of utmost importance. In this case, it makes or breaks the narrative of Jonah. So why do I say that? Let me explain. The silence that we find at the end of Jonah screams for an answer. We hear a very gentle rebuke from God. We hear a very gentle rebuke from God. Do you do well to be angry with this plant? And then later, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from the left, and also much cattle? We read this gentle rebuke from God, and then nothing. That's the end. But it's ending on that note which speaks so loudly for us today. Because this one quiet moment in the book drives home the point that we've slowly been coming to realize for the entire narrative of this part of Jonah's life. It's not about Jonah. This book wasn't meant to elevate one particular prophet. It was never about Jonah. It's about God. Consider what we find here. It's a window into the life of Jonah and not a particularly flattering one. It ends on his bitterness. And yet we still find it in Scripture. How did we find it there? How did it come to be there? The answer is that it was written down by Jonah himself. This was no dreamer who simply had visions of something that happened to someone. This was no tale teller telling us a story. This was a man who wrote in his flight from God, who wrote in his bitterness, who shouted aloud to the world his rebellion, his wickedness, and his sin. This was a man who, by all rights, ought to have had as his legacy in Israel the prophecy that he made in 2 Kings 14, verse 25. That was a prophecy that he had made prior to this. 2 Kings 14, verse 25, that Israel would enter into another brief golden age and be restored some of the land that was taken from them. That should have been his memorial. All of Israel knows him as the man who prophesied a restored golden age. And yet he chose to have this as his epitaph. To have this as his memorial. He chose to have this as his legacy through the ages. And what does it say? Here lies Jonah, a bitter man. He fled from God. He despised the mercy of the Lord. And yet, God loved him. God cared for him. God pursued him. 
and God found him. Wait, God found him? The very fact that this story ended up, that this narrative ended up in Scripture by his hands was a sign and proof of this. He turned. We read, all Scripture is God-breathed, that men did not speak by their own will, but they spoke by the will of God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So he wrote this down because God was at work in his life. This was sign and proof that he was turned. What's your choice? What's your legacy? Will you cling to your holiness? Will it be a reminder to people of your own righteousness, of your own goodness? Or will your story be a legacy of redemption? Time and time again we have it that we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And as with every time we celebrate, we're once again reminded of our need. It's one of the times in life in which we get to be truly genuine, recognizing ourselves for who we are. Every time that we eat or drink of that, eat the bread and drink the wine, we're saying to the world, I'm a sinner. I deserve nothing. Now, let me point you to a God who gives everything. If you forget everything else about me, remember this. I have a God who cares. I have a God who saves. I have a God who redeems. So let's examine ourselves again as we go out this afternoon and every day of this week as we celebrate Lord's Supper, as we spend time together. And together, let each one of us remember and confess those final words. I have a God who redeems. Amen. Let's now sing in response to the proclamation of the word. Psalm 74, the verses 2 and 8.